we're definitely starting to see the trend, which is really positive, incorporating responsible gambling messages into their ads as well. Bet Rivers, FanDuel, BetMGM, they all have, in addition to their advertising campaigns to advertise their products, they also have responsible gambling campaigns. You're listening to the Gaming News Canada show with Steve McAllister, recorded live on LinkedIn Audio. Follow Steve on LinkedIn to join the live audience. Welcome, everybody, to the latest edition of the Gaming News Canada show. I'm Steve McAllister, your host. It's Thursday, January 12th, and a very, very busy hour this afternoon uh, with, I guess what I'll call a gaggle of guests, including uh, Jason Sukraj of SportsGrid, Kevin Kennedy from Homestand Sports. At the start of the show, we're going to be joined later by Kelly Brooks from Quarter 4, Shelly White from the Responsible Gambling Council, and as always, we're joined by Will Hill of Sightline Payments and Amanda Brewer from Kended Group. want to run quickly through some headlines before we get to the lead item in the, the newsletter, and, and thanks everybody else uh, who's joined us this afternoon. As I mentioned, another busy week, really the first, I guess, first full week of people getting back to work and, and the kids getting back to school after the holiday season. A few of the items that we've mentioned in the newsletter yesterday afternoon, uh, Caesars Windsor opening up the first full service retail sports book in Ontario with a ribbon cutting ceremony. Grant Fear making the ceremonial first bet, the Hockey Hall of Fame goaltender. And Brian Massey, the Member of Parliament from Windsor, who, uh, who's been a, a real driver on Parliament Hill with getting single-event sports betting across uh, the finish line in, in, uh, in Canada, that, that amendment to the criminal code back in uh, the summer of 2021. Uh, Brian was also there as well, so congratulations to, uh, to the folks at Caesars Windsor. Great timing with the with the Leafs in Detroit to play the Red Wings tonight, and of course the uh, the start of the NFL playoffs this this weekend. We also cover this week. Uh, Toronto is going to be a one gaming summit town in 2023. We're going to talk about more, that more later in the hour with Will Hill and, and Amanda Brewer. But SBC will be managing and, and running the uh, Canadian Gaming Summit in the middle of uh, June later later this year. It didn't make the newsletter, but uh, something we're certainly going to talk about later in the hour. Is is uh, the Fifth Estate Show tonight investigating the avalanche of sports betting advertising this year. Obviously a topic we've discussed in, in great detail, including on last week's uh, last week's show and, and the Gaming News Canada podcast, so we'll get into that a little bit as well. A couple of other items quickly. Uh, the Hockey News uh, released its annual Top 100 Power Brokers over the last week, and uh, not surprisingly, there is sports betting industry representation on that, including uh, Amy Howe, the, the CEO of FanDuel, and BetMGM CEO Adam, Adam Greenblatt. And finally, um, the Globe Mail had an interesting article this past week talking to high-profile people around, around getting a fresh start and Anna Sainsbury, the CEO of GeoComply in Vancouver, was one of the people who was profiled in that piece. So again, we have a link link to that Global Mail article in, in the newsletter. Um, maybe uh, I'd, li- I'd like to, Will Hill, I'd like to start you here. Um, you know, you're someone who spent some time in Windsor back, uh, back uh, during your days as, as a journalist. And uh, you certainly know the city the city quite well, and I'm sure you can shed a light on, on what the opening of the the Caesars Windsor Sportsbook means to not only the city but to uh, but to Caesars itself. It's it's a, 
a massive event for the city of roses and for that casino this is a casino that has really faced some significant competition i mean in this side of the border uh, in ontario there's 30 casinos but you have to remember right across the border in the u.s there are three casinos alone in downtown detroit but 24 in the state of michigan um, and since the uh, fall of PASPA, many of those casinos over in Michigan have been installing sports betting and, and, and high-end sports books. Uh, and this is something that Caesars Windsor has wanted to do for quite some time. So the fact that they're finally able to open up a retail environment um, is a credit to, uh, Steve, you always use uh, hockey references, so I'm going to name the three stars here. The third star would be Joe Comartin, the NDP MPP, who was the first uh, government official that actually proposed a private member's bill to allow for legalized single event wagering. The second star uh, is Brian Massey, who actually took it over from Stuart Comartin when he became Deputy Speaker of the House uh, and was able to push it across the goal line, as you suggested uh, just a moment ago. And the first star is the casino's president, Kevin Lafourette, who's done so much not only as a day one employee there at Windsor, uh, but also for a spell was the chair of the CGA and, and did so much to push forward the sports betting agenda. So I, I, on this day, um, I'm particularly pleased for Kevin, a longtime friend of mine, uh, who's worked so hard on this issue in particular, not only for the purposes of his own casino, uh, but for the broader industry and for the city in which he's, he's resided and worked for so long. So uh, my hat's off to, uh, to all three of those, uh, those three stars. Right. Uh, Amanda Brewer, we talked about this on, on the show last week when we heard that, that this official opening was going to take place yesterday. Um, do you expect that there probably there will be some kind of a domino effect now that we've we've seen uh, we've seen this facility open? I don't see how there couldn't be. I think every single land-based casino oper operator has been waiting a very long time to be able to get uh, their sportsbooks opened. I know on the Fallsview side, um, they had the space identified. It was ripped back to the studs. You know, geez, well over a year ago. Um, so I think it's just a matter of them being able to tap into some capital investment uh, from OLG and just to get their plans drawn up and, you know, construction started. So I think as we see the year go on, there will be more and more full service uh, sports books opened across the province. And I really look forward to that. Great. Thanks, Amanda. I want to get uh, to the lead item in the newsletter, full transparency. Uh, it, it involves one of the divisions of the same company that is a proprietor of Gaming News Canada newsletter of, of this show, of this podcast. And that's the announcement this morning that, that Homestand Sports is going to be supplying original exclusive programming to Sports Grid when Sports Grid opens its Canadian streaming channel uh, sometime next month. And uh, we wanted to get uh, the president of Homestand Sports, Kevin Kennedy, on the show. Kevin's the, the guy really responsible for putting together the editorial team that's been operating since around May 2021 and, and producing content, not, not just on sports, but uh, sports and sports entertainment. And I'm hoping, Kev, you can maybe just talk for, for a minute or so just on, on what this deal means for you and the rest of the editorial team today. Thanks, Steve. We're super excited. As you mentioned, we've been at this for almost two years now. And what I'm most excited about is this opportunity, this partnership with SportsGrid uh, with the help of Jason is it allows us to get in front of, you know, many, many, many more people. And for fans in Canada it provides a real alternative um, to what's out there. And, and there's, I'm not, there's nothing wrong with what's out there now, but 
for fans, it's better to have options. It's frankly, it's better to have competition for the consumer in any environment, especially in the sports media environment. We've got just some great people that we've been working with for almost two years. And it's just exciting to have an opportunity to get them in front of more people, a bigger audience and a, and a huge existing audience and, and all these ways that people can watch our content now on top of the current ways that we're distributing our um, our, our content every day. Hey, Kev, we know the, the programming is going to include the, the Room 442 soccer show that, that um, Homestand launched last year and, and with uh, James Sherman and the host chair along with Albert Bertani and Sarah Ferreria and, and Michael Singh. And um, uh, But I, I'm also hoping you maybe talk a little bit about uh, the Homestand sports show and, and the parlay, which you and your team are g- going to bring to Sports Grid. The other thing I want to mention is that Homestand will have our own NHL trade deadline show on March 3rd. What's really exciting about this is we're able to set our own standards with our new show. It's going to be heavily focused on the sports, the teams, the players that Canadians care about. And we're going to be able to over-index on that front and not really be driven by any other kind of priorities. We're really proud of the soccer show that, that we created. We definitely didn't want to lose that, it, even though typically I think in Canada that would be considered a niche sport there's definitely not another daily canadian soccer show besides ours so we really built it up and really invested there and really believe that that does serve a significant audience here in in canada so what you're gonna see though we do have a studio i think that the show that we're going to be doing is not going to look or feel like a typical studio show that you're used to seeing here in in canada i don't like to throw around the word unique or, you know, you hear modern, <laughs> these things like I, I don't I don't like to use them because really we're still on TV. We're still on screens. I, I would say that we're taking our learnings from from outside of our borders. There's content made all over the world and we're trying to really look far and beyond what we're served every day for, for inspiration. So I think once the switch gets flipped, everyone's going to be ex- excited about what you're seeing on Sports Grid. Hey, I want to get uh, Jason Sukhraj, the, the chief commercial officer of Sports Grid in here and and Jason, I, I know for, for those of us that follow um, the sports betting and sports media industry, it was an exciting announcement when you said you were coming to Canada. Maybe you could just walk our audience through what Sports Grid is and what it means to your company to be coming north of the border. Thanks, Steve, for having me on. Uh, hello, everyone. I think uh, Sports Grid has been around sort of at the beginning when Passport got repealed. We originally started in the U.S. on the backs of 18 hours a day of original content. And really for us, it was around um, looking at where consumption was going, right? I think you you can see this in the U.S., you can see this happening in Canada, that you're starting to see a shift in the way consumption is happening and streaming is taking a big part of that. You couple that with sort of macro factors of Roku now moving into the actual hardware business. You can see an environment of where streaming will be the ubiquity of where audiences ultimately go into and that was really the focus of how we started in the U.S. Um, so, again, we're fully distributed in the U.S. on these platforms. We're driving an audience. And really, 23 uh, for us represents sort of the internationalization of, of our content. And what we realized is that um, as this space grows, uh, it's not necessarily impressive to be able to launch a channel. It's around how do you kind of drive an audience to that channel? And a big factor of that is localization and really what, you know, the crux of our partnership with Homestand is is around is 
sports inherently is a tough market to ultimately adhere to because it's ever changing and there's no shelf life uh, on content. Once that puck is dropped, that tip off happens, um, that content is sort of expired in there. Um, and that also provides us the opportunity. So as we kind of launch into Canada for the first time, we're not coming in saying, take our US feed Canadians. We want to be able to uh, uncover, you know, specifically Canadian type of moments that happen there, whether that's CFL support, whether that's World Juniors, or even, you know, the success of our Canadian uh, national soccer team. But, you know, as Kevin was saying, we want to also understand what the Canadian sports fan is looking for. And really, in the streaming space, this is white space for us to kind of build into. And we think that as streaming continues to chip away at cable, uh, and as 5G starts to chip away at broadband, the new consumption will be around these pieces. And if you kind of couple that even with, you know, the even more macro, you're starting to see a little bit of subscription fatigue uh, that is happening from these streaming services. So not only do we think about streaming, but we think about that at one level down. And we think that the fast channel and the fact that these channels are built into a lot of these connected TVs is really where the audience is going to be. And the entire concept of this and what we're doing with Homestand is, well, how do we bring the right content to that audience now? When you mention that kind of ever-changing world, I mean, we, we had this discussion on last week's show about content and the sports fan may actually be better served today than they were in the, in the traditional sports media world that I certainly have grown up and participated in for decades now. Um, has there been a bit of an evolution with SportsGrid and, and with your program in the U.S.? And I know that uh, the majority of your content is focused on sports betting, but have you seen a bit of a shift in that as well? Yeah, I think, you know, when you look at sort of a, a network, when you're going out 24 hours a day, you're, you sort of have to also understand the life cycle of a sports fan, right? There's pregame, there's postgame, you know, there's in-game opportunities. I think when we first set off the most surprising piece of, if you look at where our audience ultimately peaks, uh, it's in that in-game window, you know, the 7 p.m. to 11 p.m. on weekdays and the uh, noon till about 10 p.m. On, on the weekends there. I think that kind of market is very much sort of uh, driven by what sports betting and what we all see in sports betting and the level of engagement that can bring. Because at the end of the day, we aren't rights holders, but we are able to drive an audience that is adjacent to those games there. So when you think about, you know, some of these macro functions really shaping the way we do content, um, we really do think that the, uh, the, you know, the battleground, so to say, around audience really will happen in this live window and we think gaming and, and sports betting is such a nice adjacency to those pieces there. But we also realize that because of the quick moving nature of, of sports, the live type of programming is really how you embrace these pieces. Because if we all believe in sort of the in-game window becoming where the volume of bets are ultimately going, then naturally it's around how do media companies also reflect that's where priorities are going to be. And that's really what kind of leads us in, in the way we want to shape it and is ultimately things that in Canada we'll look to replicate. Just one last question, Jay. And again, I know that relationships matter a lot in this industry and 
and certainly, uh, you know, yourself and, and Mark Silver, the, the founder and CEO of Parlay Media Group, has spoke, you know, several times. I think going back to the process that led to the legalization of signal event sports betting in, in Canada, what is it about an alliance with Kevin and, and uh, his homestand sports team that made this uh, an attractive venture for for sports grid i think you're, you're probably on your side me and mark have known each other for for many years and we've been always exploring i think uh this just from some of the things i'd mentioned before you know just representing the right timing there i think as we look to expand internationally we still want to stay true to authenticity and authority right so when we're choosing you know our content providers and when i look at homestand when i look at what kevin mark have done in that marketplace that very much aligns with the way we want to go into these things. Um, I think as you roll out international markets, you got to be very careful with not trying to pander to, you know, the stereotypes necessarily that you'd think about the Canadian audience. And, you know, in doing that, we feel like the best path is to have, you know, local partners that really can understand the heartbeat of what resonates with that. And also have the flexibility around that this is an evolving market and, you know, there are certain kind of key events that pop up. You know, you mentioned the trade deadline. Uh, We think that is a very important piece, not only just from, you know, being able to cover it, but from the opportunity that right now in streaming in the fast channels, nobody is really addressing that. So really it was those factors, I think, authenticity uh, and authority that really kind of drove us towards uh, this partnership. Hey Jay, listen. Thanks, uh, thanks so much, uh, Jake, Jason Sukraj uh, from Sports Grid. Really appreciate you uh, joining the show, Jason. And and yeah, as, as someone who uh, who can't get enough uh, sports content, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what Homestand Sports and and Sports Grid uh, delivers to, together. And uh, you know, I think we're really just going to get a, a whiff over the next uh, once this launches in February, the, the very early days, and it's it's going to be a lot of fun to see where this relationship takes uh, both companies. For sure. Thank you, Steve. Look forward to uh, some of these in the future too. Great. Thanks, Jay. Uh, I want to get uh, Kelly Brooks, the CEO of, of Quarter Four, in here. And again, we we tend to be uh, this show tends to be a little heavy on on sports betting and and media and, and regulation and. Uh, the one thing that people like like Will and Amanda and when we've had uh, when we have Paul Burns on the show that we talk about uh, about is uh, just the opportunities that have been created for this industry with with the shifting landscape in Canada in terms of employment opportunities and and technology and and I would say Kelly and uh, Daniela Kovic at, at quarter four are are two of the poster people for for that. So Kelly, really really appreciate you uh, you coming on and and maybe just if you can don't mind talking a little bit about the journey for quarter four over the past 12 months and and kind of what gets you excited when you get out of the bed in the morning for what lies ahead in 2023 yeah um thank you so much for having um, me on steve i always um, am honored by your emails whenever you're asking for you know content bits or to be on a show um that you're hosting so thank you Um, So I guess one of the really amazing things that Danielle and I have noticed over the last um, even month um, is the fact that um, people in this industry are starting to really understand the power of a technology such as AI, um, which is what our platform is based on. So during the uh, 2022 year, um, you know, at the beginning of the sales cycle, um, in Q1, we were still trying to 
you know, empower um, people try like putting trials onto the product and saying it's AI. And this is the reason you should use AI. Um, because I think in this industry, there's so many pretty shiny things all the time. Um, you know, whether it's like NFTs or crypto or, you know, an AI kind of gets slots slotted into that. Um, but Danielle and I have always been building this because it's primarily um, a tool that promotes efficiency and it, you know, it promotes automation of diverse content across, you know, anything from uh, pre-game 14 days out to in-game um, with really uh, insightful trends um, and patterns. And that's what AI um, from a predictive analysis and, and automation um, you know, point of view is specifically for. And with the um, emergence of chat GPT, which everyone's hearing about right now, and other pieces, people are starting to actually reach out and say, we're getting it. We're understanding the power of AI now. We're understanding that... Um, you know, the amount of data that can be produced within a certain time frame uh, with really unique insights and trends. And I think that, um, you know, even Jason mentioned this in order to uh, engage, whether it's a better or a fan um, and, and to promote conversion into, um, you know, get those subscriptions filled or get the sales funnel filled up with people making bets. You need to constantly evolve from a content and data perspective. Hey, I uh, just want to remind everybody in this this form. If you have a question and ask Kelly, just please raise your hand, and we'll, and we will get you in as a, a speaker here. Uh, Kelly, what what are some uh, some of the companies that have you know have, have got on board the quarter four train over the past year, and, and what what kind of what, what are the companies that you're targeting for new business? Yeah, so it's continuously evolved. I think initially uh, we really went um, to the media realm. Um, you know, we've we've had a long-standing partnership with Sport Radar. They're always evolving their product. Um, you know, we have a partnership with um, some key affiliates. Um, you know, we're working with groups like Sidelines, Odds Checker. Um, we have find the affiliate market is really fascinating right now. They're you know they've traditionally been the gateway. To everything and the affiliate market itself is hyper competitive um, so they're always looking to engage they're always looking to see how can we get eyes on the site how can we actually get people you know engaging with content you know signing up for premium content or how do we push them through to the books um, so those have been you know some target markets and, and some groups that we've had a lot of success with um, and moving forward, it's interesting now because there's always been a gap between content to conversion on the operator side. Um, I think some of the, you know, the sports books operators are still struggling with, you know, how do we connect a probability to, um, you know, a line and how do we, you know, what's the ligament there? Uh, and there's some really progressive sports books that we're starting to work with actually uh, overseas that are starting to understand that. They're like, you know, we've done things a certain way for so long. Um, and now our end user is looking for new and interesting betting opportunities, you know? So is that niche markets? Is that in-game? Is that certain, um, you know, player props? And I mean, these are terms that have you know, been alive in this industry for a long time, but they've always been done the same way. So for us, it's operators, it's continuing to really help affiliates disrupt their own space um, and always the media as well. So we have a very diverse offering with, we touch every single a critical acquisition or retention point 
all the way from a sports fan making the first glance at their first probability all, all the way to, you know, a sharp making some bets and using some of our uh, more granular detail to help with that. So, um, you know, AI has really helped us um, service multiple markets. Right. Hey, Kelly, you, you and I probably had this conversation, at, maybe not as far back as 12 months ago, maybe last summer, you had a great anecdote about when quarter four first started, you, you'd you be looking for, for people and you might get four, four resumes for an engineering job. And I think when we had this conversation last year, you were talking about like more than 100 um, people applying for a job with the company. It's are, are you seeing that continue to evolve? And maybe you can just tell us a little bit about how big the company is now and, and the kind kind of skill set you have a quarter for. Yeah, so we're um, around 22. Um, that includes um, two interns, and we do pay our interns. Um, so, and they're they're in the computing space. So, I mean, 85% of our workforce is uh, data science, artificial intelligence, machine learning. And because we're in Toronto and we're right beside Waterloo, which is the, the tech corridor in Canada, we have a lot of access to those types of skill sets. But yes, I mean, I'm now getting, um, you know, incoming emails with these wonderful resumes from data science graduates, from people that have been doing data science in other fields, like in government um, or in other areas where um, they now are really intrigued with the sports field and the, and the betting field. They understand kind of the excitement that's going on here and the fact that now it's come can Canadian side and Toronto is a hub. I mean, if you look at a lot of the, the betting um, ecosystem, they are having um, technical offices in Toronto. But I am now actually getting incoming inbound resumes where I'm, I'm parking them to say, okay, if we need to do another hiring we have a list of resumes and when we first started this company we did not have that we had two <laughs> hey amanda burr i do you have a, either a comment or a question and, and again as i mentioned that before we got kelly in here that I mean we we've talked about the the economic development opportunity that gaming provides in this country and we've talked about that it's almost seems like it feels like a bit of an underground tech hub although i'm sure for people like will and yourself and and kelly it's not underground at all yeah, I just want to say first hi to Kelly. It's really great to see you again and um, hope your New Year's off to a great start. But yeah, I think, you know, especially because for anyone who's an operator in the market, um, Deloitte, Igo has partnered with Deloitte to put together a snapshot of the economic investment that this market is now generating for the province. And, you know, Paul and I have been sort of, you know, really um vocal about reminding people that you know jobs are definitely created because of this industry coming in but the focus isn't solely on the jobs it's on the overall economic investment and development in this industry and paul you know loves to talk about how you know coming out of covid the launch of this industry has almost single-handedly revived our advertising uh industry in ontario um and the number of 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 jobs are you know, ancillary jobs that are created because of this industry. You look at the Caesar Sportsbook opening and, you know, that article mentioned jobs 
been created in that area of the province, which I'm sure can benefit from them. So I think the spillover effect of this market opening is certainly um, the investment that's pouring into it. But I think it's the smart training too that's now available and the fact that we're going to have research institutions that are going to be dedicating courses, hiring professors, you know, attracting students to come in and study all aspects of this industry. So, you know, my hope is this is something that just continues to grow over time. Um, so it's not necessarily about the number of jobs that the operators might have brought into this market, but it's certainly about where else the jobs have, are going to be generated and what the overall investment is in the market. Uh, well, Hill, did you have a comment or question for Kelly? Uh, well, I, just picking up on Amanda's theme of, of economic development, uh, back about a decade ago when I was at OLG, uh, the agency was responsible directly or indirectly for about 17,000 employees. Um, that was between its, its own corporate head offices, but also the casinos under um, its supervision, the resort casinos, um, and those casinos that it owned and operated itself. Um, and that number... Um, my goodness gracious, I, I think uh, uh, we're going to see that number uh, multiply several fold um, nowadays uh, with all the different opportunities that's being created, not only by the operators, um, but the sort of the, the, the add on effects uh, with other related industries. Um, and then you see, uh, uh, you know, a company like Quarter Four starting up in Guelph at just the right time. Um, and, and, you know, seizing upon um, a great moment in history and succeeding. And, and it's delightful to see, and I, I wish them all the best. Uh, uh, Kelly will remember um, back before the world shut down with the pandemic, uh, I, I invited her into uh, the OLG headquarters to sit and, and, and chat. Uh, and we had a great discussion. We've been friends ever since. Uh, and I think there's a lot of potential in, in what she does, uh, not just here in Ontario, but on a more global scale. Hey, Kelly, just, just a bit on the flip side of what Amanda said and what we were talking about a little earlier. Um, you know, given, given this tech industry, are, are you seeing that you're, you're actually losing some of your people because there are other options out, out there and because it is such a dynamic industry right now? Um, it's interesting right now because there has been just globally um, in the economy, there's a number of tech companies that have um, released employees. So there's a bit of... Um, a hiring opportunity right now. Um, I can say that in the three years that we have been um, alive, that we have only had the turnover of one employee and it wasn't a data scientist or a tech person. Um, wow. But I, yeah, um, but that comes, I mean, Danielle and I have been in the tech industry first, like, um, you know, and I, I was talking to um, Sue Schneider um you know, we, we talk quite a bit and I said, you know what, it's a really interesting theme now. I think the theme is parallels because, you know, you have um, the, the betting industry and the sports uh, industry that are becoming very tech aware and it's, it's, it's mimicking kind of what the tech industry went through. It had ebbs and flows and ebbs and flows. And while there's efficiencies being generated, then, you know, there would be a release of employees into the market. And then all of a sudden you would start hiring them again as people started understanding the market a little bit better. So for us, um, at this point, we don't have any shortage. We haven't had any high amount of turnover. Um, but again, I think it's because we are located in Canada. We are in Waterloo. Um, it's a technical hub by, by nature. And we're a sports um, analytics company in a sea of everything else. It is maybe primarily financial or other type of companies. So I think we do have a bit of an advantage there. 
I guess the other question I have for for you too, uh, Kelly, is just uh, given that the NFL playoffs are starting this weekend, is, is that something that's taking up a lot of Boxton with with quarter four right now? And and do you and do you have any little uh, tips you can pass along to, to us before we make our bets this weekend? Yeah, well, um, you know what, it is heavy. Um, I think even like over the last three weeks, we've had alone 225 million activations on our NFL um, widget and, and, you know, um, statistics that are running just with a few of our affiliates. So it's, you can see the spikes happening every time there's a game day. I will tell you, most likely the Dolphins won't be in the uh, Super Bowl. Um, there is some high hopes for them, but it's really interesting. We were demoing our product at the beginning of the NFL season. And for some reason, the algorithms were really liking the Detroit Lions. And we actually had talked to somebody who was a Lions fan. And he's like, man, your system's buggy. Why is it calling up the Lions to do something this year? Um, and sure enough, they are, you know, a playoff contender when nobody suspected them to be. So our AI is always surprising us. Um, as far as this year, we really like the Chiefs still. Love my home still. The modeling really likes that, and it really likes the Eagles. So we'll see what happens. Okay, there you, there you go. <laughs> there you go, folks. There you have it. Um, hey, I, I want to, uh, Amanda and, and uh, Kelly, uh, while we're waiting for Shelly White from the Responsible Gambling Council to join us, I want to get her thoughts on this topic, too. But um, I, I mentioned to, uh, to the two of you that, that one of the uh, one of the articles that we include in the newsletter this week is a is, is a piece from uh, iGamingBusiness.com this week, um, interviewing women in the the gaming industry who spoke about the sexism that still exists in the industry. And I, I think you know Kelly and Amanda, you, you might have or your thoughts might come from different places, Amanda, just because you've been in the industry for the better part of two decades plus now and, and Kelly, because you're, you're a relative newcomer of the industry, but Amanda, maybe I'll just start with you. And um, again, it, it's, you know, I'm, I'm certainly uh, nowhere near being the expert on this, but it does seem to me kind of last year at going, going to the conferences and return a conference around the industry that uh, there did seem to be a, a more diverse crowd of conferences, but but again, I certainly defer defer, defer to you and Kelly on uh, on this issue. Well, first, I want to just tell everyone I started working in this industry when I was twelve. Every time Steve tells everyone I've been in it for two <laughs> decades plus. Um, moving on from that, yeah, I mean, I started in this industry where I was the only woman who was traveling on business trips, going out to dinners, going to conferences, you know, going to meetings. And it was kind of strange, but I also started my career working in mining and metals. So I didn't really notice a big difference. Um, but you fast forward to now and, you know, Kindred has brought a few new people onto its senior management team. And we had our weekly meeting on Tuesday and there were six women and three men sitting on that senior management meeting. So I reiterate that I know we might uh, be the exception, but I'm hoping we're not such an exceptional exception anymore. Um, I think there are a lot of women who've worked a long time in this industry now because it's been licensed and legal and regulated for a very long time. And I think that, you know, women who are considering careers now see themselves being reflected in the, you know, the Amy Howes and, you know, the Kelly Brooks and, you know, any of the other, you know, really great women who are, who are working for the gaming industry. So I don't think it's it's so exceptional now, but it's it's not to say there's not, you know, work to be done. I know when I was still working with Paul on the Canadian Gaming Summit and I was helping 
to program the summit, I was really paying attention to making sure that we had a lot of women on the panels. We didn't have panels that were, you know, just you know, four, four or five men up on stage talking. We really tried to diversify um, and integrate those panels as much as possible. So my hope is when the SBC conference comes back in June that we'll, we'll see that trend carry on because I think there's a lot of smart people out there um, and, you know, they deserve a chance to have a, have a seat at the table as well. Right. Hey, Kelly, before we go to you, I just want to mention, you know, uh, we were at the uh, SBC North America Summit in Secaucus last summer. And, uh, you know, you were part of a panel with with people like Benji Cherniak and I think uh, Davis Catlin might have been with that group. And and Lloyd Danzig was around at that summit. And and, uh, the one thing that really impressed me was that the respect that you had with with those people as a startup company and uh, you know, guys that are, put, you know, really putting their money where their mouth is in terms of investing in companies like yours. And um, I just wanted to mention that, 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 you know, I found that impressive. And again, not, not because you're a woman, but it's, uh, and, and we've certainly seen this with Parlay Media Group and, and with me uh, trying to cover this industry that it can sometimes be difficult for a newcomer. Um, anyway, I'll, I'll get, you know, let you, uh, let you j- jump on from what Amanda said. Yeah. And, you know, I'm like Amanda, I came from a tech first background before that I worked like in the aggregate industry, um, doing finance. Um, so I'm very used to being in areas where, um, there's limited diversity, um, because at this point I was talking to Danielle a little bit about this this morning, um, because, you know, of the show today, Steve, like I always, you know, we, we talk a lot and, for me, um, I think it is an all-around diversity um, viewpoint versus just women. Women have their own, um, you know, the, their own challenges. But, I mean, even being diverse includes, um, you know, women being part of the grander picture. Um, and, again, coming from the tech industry, and thank you for your comments around the panel. Um, you know, I have a lot of great um, you know, male supporters. And I think they just, as business first, they really understand our business, they understand our technology. And that's why we've always come into this industry saying we are tech first. Um, and, you know, being a woman in the tech industry is also rare, not as rare anymore. But um, the one benefit that we do have is, for example, Amanda, I met Amanda because of the fact that we were women in the industry. Um, I'm actually in a quarterly um, CEO meeting with you know, over a hundred gaming women in the industry who are CEOs. And we talk about um, a lot of the issues, um, you know, that we are dealing with. And, um, you know, I think, um, you know, we just don't want to be put into a position because we're a woman. We want to be put, be put into a position of leadership or a position of specialty because we have the right skill set and we're going to bring the most to the table. Um, and, and a lot of CEOs, um, see that way because we're like if you just promote someone because they are you know um, a woman it might actually discredit the woman because they may not be able to perform the skill set that they were brought on for just so that they could be the token woman so um, I think that this industry is getting better Um, I think that women have a lot of opportunity and I think that you know we're equivalent partners at any table that we we join. Thanks for that, uh, Kelly. And, and, and man, I, I want to uh, welcome back to the, the Gaming News Canada show now, Shelly White, the CEO of the Responsible Gambling Council. And, and Shelly, I think you just joined us at the tail end of, of those comments from, from Amanda and Kelly. But uh, as Kelly was speaking, it, it, it uh, reminded me, you know, of being at uh, at the SBC Summit in Secaucus last summer. And, 
and seeing you at a at a morning uh, breakfast breakfast function that was tailored towards women in the gaming industry and I'm, I'm thinking you know hopefully the day is not that far away where we no longer have to have you know a woman focused uh, networking event because it's it's an everyday occurrence in the, in the industry but again as someone who's been around the industry for for quite some time as well I would, would love to get your perspective on this hi everyone it's uh, great to be here with you I remember meeting you um, outside that um, global gaming women event and um, you know I have to say that First of all, I don't think it needs to be either or. I do, um, I have found, like Kelly has said, that I've received a tremendous amount of support and have had really, developed really positive relationships with um, my male counterparts in the industry. In fact, um, you know, I've got a lot of great male mentors. Um, being a newbie, um, relative newbie to this industry, only six years. Um, I also think it's really important for women to support women. And at that Global Gaming Women event, you know, we find that there's a lot of young women that are entering the industry. And this is a great opportunity for those of us who've been in the industry and who've been in leadership positions for some time to actually provide support and mentor and coach um, uh, you know, younger women that are coming into the industry. Um, and, you know, in response to that article, I think that all of us would agree that that kind of behavior is deplorable and inexcusable. Um, that is some, that kind of behavior is, you know, hasn't been acceptable for decades. I mean, we have policies um, that exist at the provincial level and within our workplaces to address workplace harassment and um, and so this kind of behavior is certainly not acceptable in any industry at all and um, anybody who behaves that way is um, just um, you know completely inappropriate and um, you know really should not be working in any culture that embraces equity, diversity, inclusion, and um, anti-racism, so, or racism, rather. So, um, you know, um, I, I think that we've um, come a long way in the industry, and that even in the six years that I've been with the industry, I know that there's, I'm part of a, an, an initiative that I'm very, very proud to be part of, um, that uh, is called the All in Diversity Initiative. It's a global initiative that's designed to increase equity, diversity, and inclusion in the industry, and they are doing really innovative um, and inclusive things to ensure that the industry is inclusive. And, and there's been a remarkable progress made in a very, very short time. And this is an industry initiative. And um, men and women and um, people of all backgrounds are embracing it and supporting it. Um, so I think that's um, a really great example that demonstrates the kind of leadership that the um, industry is taking on this particular um, issue. Yeah, I'm certainly a fan of Kelly Keene, who, who leads that all in the <laughs> project, Shelley, and uh, and we're actually we're we're scheduled to have uh, Sue Schneider from SBC on the program next week, so I'm sure uh, I'm sure Sue will have some thoughts as well on that. Uh, I don't before uh, before we switch gears. I know uh, Nikki Fields is uh, from SBC is here, and, and, and Nikki, I'm thinking that you have a comment on this issue as well before we switch gears. Hey guys, yeah, thank you. Um, so just echoing, you know, what Kelly and um, Amanda. Um, and Shelly have been saying, I think the industry has done some 
great things in um, promoting women and bringing a voice to women in the industry. You know, we see all these groups, and they are not just Global Giving Women and, um, you know, all in the diversity project. We see them really globally across the board where we haven't seen them before. So I know that there's one in Canada, there's a women's group, business group. Um, there's one in London, a women's business group. And two points here. I think that we all need to kind of come together because we're kind of marching in the same direction and we're promoting the same thing. So so more unity on that front. And then the other point that I was going to make is um, it's really up to a lot of these um, hiring managers and people managers to really look and make sure that we don't have um, unbiased or biased hiring practices and that they're getting good coaching on their end to recognize leaders and how to promote leaders and give them the tools. I think, you know, specifically where I'm going with this is like at a property level, for example, is some of these people are kind of thrown into management roles and they're not given the tools to help promote women rise up the ranks. So I think that there's an opportunity there. And I also am really involved with GGW and that's something that I'm advocating for too, is making sure that our hiring managers are really on board and recognize, you know, we're all working towards the same solution here. Yeah, no, that's great, uh, great stuff, Nick. And I think it also, as we get more women into executive positions, that's going to filter down as well, and we're going to see more equity with hiring. And to Amanda's point, I think it's important with these conferences that we that we all attend that uh, that those panel discussions and, and the people on the floor that, that it really reflects the people who are working in the industry, and it reflects all all races and uh, and genders. I, I want to switch here because the reason I originally invited Shelly on, on the program was to talk a little bit about the RGC's uh, r- roadmap for 2023. And I, I do want to get it also into the uh, the fifth estate uh, show tonight. But so I just, I, I do want to give you a chance uh, before we get into that, just to talk about what, what you see as your priorities in the, in the upcoming 12 months. Yeah, so, um, you know, um, continuing to build upon what we started in 2022 with the expansion of the gambling industry in Ontario and Canada and globally, um, you know, there's some uh, work that um, we want to do around uh, research to inform um, advertising and marketing standards to ensure that we're making evidence-informed decisions about what those policies and practices should look like rather than... uh, um, you know, implementing knee-jerk reactions, um, and certainly um, going to have um, continue to have a focus on sports betting, um, given the um, expansion um, that's occurring in Ontario, but also um, that we're anticipating across uh, across Canada. And um, a real focus on um, enhancing, um, increasing public education campaigns, uh, particularly with a focus on youth and young adults, um, as well as multi-channel players um, and other vulnerable populations. Um, And we're looking at, um, we've been conducting RG check accreditations for all the new online and sports betting operators. We've completed a dozen so far, and we have about another um, 30 to go. Um, So, you know, looking at the first 12 and looking at where the industry is doing extremely well and where there's some opportunities to work with the industry to um, enhance some of their their particular standards as it relates to RG. So, um, Steve, it's really, you know, more of the same uh, continuing to work with the government, with regulators, with operators to help them achieve their goals 
of um, having robust, responsible gambling programs in place and ensuring that the public has the information that it needs to make um, educated, informed decisions. And, um, you know, I would love to see also increased utilization of RG tools amongst all players. Um, there's a very low uptake right now. It's less than 20%. And there's a, um, a, a stigma out there that people think that only individuals who have a gambling problem should use RG tools. We'd like to flip that on its head and uh, reverse that so that everybody, just like we put our seatbelts on when we get in our car, we um, utilize our RG tools when we um, are online gambling or sports betting. Hey, Shelly, that's, that's a great uh, segue into uh, into this, uh, the, the, the Fifth Estate uh, show that's going to be on tonight. And there's been some coverage out there this morning. Uh, Sean Fitzgerald at The Athletic did a Q&A with, with Bob McEwen, the, the lead reporter for that uh, for that investigation, I believe. And, and CBC also has a story on its, on its website that, uh, that we tweet, tweeted out on the Gaming News Canada tw- Twitter account. And, you know, the essence of the story, and I'll get Amanda in here in a second because Amanda's familiar with, with the investigation, uh, is into the, uh, you know, the avalanche of sports betting advertising, the, the use of brand ambassadors, and including uh, current uh, current uh, athletes. And then you have the Connor McDavid uh, partnership with BetMGM and the Austin Matthews partnership with, with Bet99. And to your point, Shelley, like what, what role can the sports books play in, in, in being a little more proactive when it comes to educating uh, sports bettors and especially especially newcomers to sports betting? Yeah, I think, you know, just achieving what we'd recommend to um, our sports betting operators is, you know, achieving that balance in terms of, you know, having advertising marketing campaigns to promote their products, but also incorporating responsible gambling messaging into their um, ads as well. And, and you know what, we're definitely starting to see that as a trend, which is, you know, really positive, you know, Rush Street or Bet Rivers, um, Fan FanDuel, um, BetMGM, they all have, in addition to their advertising campaigns to advertise their products, they also have responsible gambling campaigns. And we think there's tremendous potential for these, um, you know, well-respected influencers to also be influencers with respect to encouraging um, new players to um, gamble responsibly. Um so, um, you know, I think that there's a tremendous opportunity for us to work with the industry um, on um, helping them to achieve that. I have to say, we've had a really positive response from a lot of operators to RGC's RG ad and to the point where they've actually asked if we could help them develop their own ads. So I think this is really promising. We're really quite um, um, excited about this. Hey man, I'd, l- I'd love to get your thoughts on on the the, the investigation, just because you're you, you've got a little bit of background information on on what we're going to see tonight. Well, I thought it was really interesting that one of the first persons interviewed was sitting in a bar with alcohol behind him as he's talking about the problems of gambling. Because God knows, like we don't have people who have problems with alcohol in Ontario. Uh, anyway, you know, listen, this isn't this is. We're a strange province in that this was an activity that was available to Ontarians for a very long time. It's just the advertising wasn't permitted. So now with the regulation of the market and advertising being permissible, um, it is one of the tools operators have and they're permitted to use. 
Um, the RG guidelines are extensive and available for anybody to go and look at. And it's quite clear about what we can and cannot do and where we can and cannot advertise. Um, and all operators are following very strict RG protocols um, to operate in this market. I think it's the newest, uh, how, how to describe it, the newest of the vice activities that is now legal and regulated in the province. Um, so all the operators that you know were here ahead of time or have come in just to get licenses for April 4th are now competing against each other. Love it or hate it, it's a permissible, you know, legal form of, of advertising and not none of these operators should be doing anything with their brand ambassadors to deliberately target underage gamblers. If that was the case, you would certainly see the AGCO getting involved very quickly and licenses potentially being suspended for those operators. So I think you know, I'm still comfortable categorizing this under growing pains. To Shelley's point, there is certainly a very, um, very clear path towards offering products and services and promoting products and services in a responsible manner in this market. But I also think that, you know, if it's something that is really that egregious, it's very easy, as, as Paul Burns said in the article, to change the channel. You can flick the commercial off for the duration of it if it's something that is, is that egregious. But I think that, you know, we'll have to see where we go with this. It's AGCO has been pretty clear they're not going to be loosening any of the regulations, and I guess we'll have to see if they're going to be tightening any of them, depending on, you know, whether or not this turns into actual, you know, outrage on behalf of, of the public. So, I don't think this is the end of the conversation, and I think it's important for us to keep talking about it. But, you know, at this point, I, I, I haven't seen any operators crossing the line with their advertising. Uh, well, Hill, I'm sure you have some thoughts on this. Yeah, uh, this is in no way surprising to me. This is uh, a continuation, uh, sort of a, a strain of, of, of coverage that's actually emerged over the last couple of months as this quote-unquote new industry has emerged. But as Amanda correctly points out, um, you know, sports betting has been taking place legally, uh, legitimately, uh, and in a regulated and monitored form since, uh, goodness gracious, 1993, uh, with the advent of what was Sports Select and then became ProLine. So this, this, it's not new. Um, nor, when in, under the category labeled not new, um, is the fifth estate interest in, in gambling. In my 11 years at OLG, I, I can recall, not vividly, but uh, um, at least two long-form pieces by um, the Fifth Estate that uh, were critical of the agency um, and the industry more broadly. Um, and, and so, uh, I mean, all this, as I've said over and over again, relates back to the social li license attached to gambling in, in this province. Um, it's, you know, we're, we're still at a place where we're discussing um, the evils of, of problem gambling, and rightfully so, uh, but rarely ever is it mentioned within the context, as Amanda referred to a moment ago, that problem, the, rate, the prevalence rates of problem gambling in this province are actually lower than problem drinking. Um, and yet one industry um, is, is beset with uh, a far greater amount of, of negative media, uh, and particularly recently so. So none of, the, none of this is, is, is surprising to me. It's unfortunate. Um, because, you know, we started this discussion about an hour ago uh, talking about uh, the excitement of a new sports book in, at Caesars Windsor, and we continued through the idea of economic development and new jobs coming here, um, and now there's going to be 
you know, uh, a moment in time uh, where people are going to be looking at the industry all over again with a spocky and arched eyebrow um, over uh, um, uh, the issue of, of uh, hockey players talking about sports betting and advertising. Right. Shelly, are you seeing a, a, an increase in, in emails or phone calls or correspondence to your, to your office about the advertising and, and the like? Um, we received a few, Steve, but it, we haven't been bombarded um, with emails. Um, I have to say it comes up more in um, informal conversations with people when they find out who I who I work for and and saying, you know, um, you know, I, I hope that there's going and it's more about, you know, concern about their their teens or their young adults and particularly males and their interest in sports betting. So it's more about um, people requesting and hoping that there's going to be more education and more information provided to youth and young adults um, as opposed to getting rid of the ads. And so, and, and that makes sense to us. I mean, it's about, um, you know, providing individuals with information about the odds about how the games work and what the RG tools are that they can use to manage their play. And I think that's um, that's RGC's approach in terms of creating that kind of healthy RG culture. And as um, Amanda said, you know, the this is built into the regulatory standards um, and they are robust. And, you know, we're, we're conducting a research study that's looking at leading practices in advertising and marketing internationally and looking at are there ways that the advertising and marketing standards could be um, strengthened in any way, but not limiting um and not having a negative impact in the indust on the industry. So um, more to come in that particular area. But I think we think that the most important thing that we can do is um, ensure that there's robust education and information available to individuals so that they can um, make good choices. Yeah, it's certainly a story that's not going to go away, Shelley. And, uh, and I think it's fair to suggest that... Uh, this uh, 2023 may be your busiest year yet. <laughs> and, the CEO, and the CEO is chair of the Responsible Gambling Council. Yeah, um, that's what we're here for. Exactly, exactly. Let's uh, let's wrap it up there, um, Shelley. Really appreciate you uh, you joining us, um, Shelley White, the CEO of the Responsible Gambling Council. Uh, Kelly Brooks, the CEO, of quarter four. Thanks, thanks so much, Kelly, for joining us and and uh, looking forward to, to following quarter four throughout the NFL playoffs and, and the rest of 2023. Uh, Amanda Brewer, the Canadian Country Manager for Kindred Group. Thanks as always, Amanda, for for being with us. And uh, we did get a chance to talk much, Amanda, about the uh, the Canadian Gaming Summit today. But as I mentioned, we're going to have Sue Schneider from SBC on next week, so we'll we'll get, get more into that uh, that topic. I uh, also want to thank uh, Will Hill, uh, uh, Senior Vice President of Business Development, Sightline Payments, and also earlier, uh, Kevin Kennedy, President of Homestand Sports, and Jason Sukraj, the Chief Commercial Officer from Sports Grid, for, for joining us. Uh, that's a wrap, folks, for this week. We're, we're on LinkedIn Audio every Thursday afternoon from 2 to 3, so please let your friends know. And, and uh, as you've heard over the past hour, so much good information from, from experts and, and some of the... Uh, 
some of the leaders in this in this industry in Canada. Everybody enjoy the rest of your week. Please be uh, be safe, and we'll look forward to seeing you all here again next week. Take care, everybody. Thanks, Steve. Thank you for listening to the Gaming News Canada show. Sign up for our newsletter at gamingnewscanada.ca. Follow Steve McAllister on LinkedIn to join the live audience. Message Steve if you're interested in being a sponsor or featured guest.